All right. <clears throat> so we'll get uh, started here. And uh, we're continuing. So this is kind of part two of the, the teaching of the law. So last week we covered that. We covered specifically the three functions or uses of the law. We talked about curb, mirror, and rule and what that does. Uh, I just want to make a few more comments before we get into the Ten Commandments themselves what the commandments mean, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, let's see. Let's, um, okay, Uh, let me talk about the sources of the law. So, we have two sources of the law. Uh, The law comes to us in two different ways. The first is the conscience. Uh, first is the conscience. Uh, Romans 2.15 says, The law is written on their hearts, that is on human beings' hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. So what the conscience is, is the, uh, that's the voice in your head or your mind that tells you that what you're doing is wrong or that what you're doing is right. So it's the, the feeling of guilt when you do bad things. And it's the feeling of good when you do good things. Like, so for example, if you lie to your spouse or to a friend or to a loved one, um, you will have guilt. Like you'll, you'll start to feel this in, in your body. Um, if you feed the homeless, then, then what? You kind of feel good. Uh, people... Uh, even people who aren't Christians will say that, that donating things or helping others uh, makes them feel good. It makes you feel good, like there's a sense of purpose and thing in your life. Um, but the problem is, so this is, this is the, the conscience. So every human being has this to, uh, to some, sorry. <clears throat> yes, every human being has this, a conscience. Now it's true that people can uh, sin against their conscience and make it more dull than others. So uh, the analogy, take the analogy of like playing guitar. If you just pick up a guitar right now without ever having played, you're pressing your fingers against steel strings against a wooden fretboard and you have to press with enough pressure that it clamps it down. And you do that enough times, then your fingers are going to get blisters, they're gonna bleed and then it's gonna hurt. It hurts, in fact, that's why a lot of people quit guitar when they start, when they first start it, because it's a very painful instrument at first. But then what happens is the more you play it, those blisters heal, they, they, uh, their skin toughens up, and then you play again and again and again, and then weeks or a month later, you have calluses on your fingertips, and you can't even feel the strings. And at that point, it's just muscle memory you know, where, where your fingers are going. And it's, it's pressing down, but it doesn't hurt you anymore. You don't feel anything, in fact. And you can hear it tap on the strings. Uh, well, this is what people can do to their conscience. Your conscience is, by nature, a tender sort of thing that is aware of uh, what is good and evil. But if you continue to push against it, push, 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 doing what is wrong, you know what is wrong, then... It, it toughens up your conscience in a bad way. It makes it callous. It, it hardens your heart so that there are certain things that are no longer, uh, there are certain things that you do that no longer feel bad that you do. Like for example, this is something I've, I've talked about before in sermons even, like consider people who are um, cohabiting. Um, they're living together without marriage. There's no marriage. Uh, they just decide to, well, we're going to live together. And sometimes those people will come to the church. They'll come to me and say, can you uh, be the pastor at our wedding? And then after talking, then I find out, oh, okay, you are living together. And then one of the first questions I like to ask is, um, what, what did it feel like when you first lived together? When you first came together and started living together um, uh, apart from marriage? And the majority of the time, I'm not going to say every time, but the majority of the time, they'll say something like, well, it was really weird. And I say, why was it weird? 
Yeah, it's because it is weird. Yeah, uh, and then they'll say, "Well, I, 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 I'll say like I'll pry a little bit. D- did you feel guilty? Did you feel bad about it? I mean, what was this kind of a smooth transition?" And I say, "No, yeah, we felt bad." And they say, oh, "What do you feel about it now?" I go, oh, "We're fine." I say, "Oh, I, I see what happened. What happened was that you felt bad about it." Your conscience was telling you, hey, this is wrong, but you pushed against it for so long that it now it's hardened and you don't feel bad about it anymore. So the, the, the quality of that sin, the essence of it hasn't changed. What has changed is your attitude towards it. Uh, you've hardened your heart towards it. So this is what people do with a lot of things. Now, it could be uh, lying or gambling or uh, pornography or cursing or swearing um, or laziness, whatever it is, that these are things that people felt bad for at one time and then no longer feel bad for them. Um, <clears throat> our conscience does this. The scriptures also give us an extreme example of people who have seared their conscience, like, like a steak on, on, on a hot grill. Like it, it hardens the, the outside and makes it dead and numb. So in the same way, people do this with their conscience and this is why we can see people like serial killers or murderers. Um, nobody just starts out as a serial kill, killer. Nobody starts out as a serial murderer. That doesn't exist. Uh, what happens is it's a very gradual and uh, progressive sort of thing that happens, develops over time. So <clears throat> do you guys know, I think it's Ted Bundy. Do you know him? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, very evil stuff. He, he was converted at the very end of his life while he was on death row before he was executed. Um, he had a meeting with, I think, Dr. Dobson. And he talked to him and he said, you know, do you feel bad? And uh, what's going on here? So they had this really big interview. You could find it online, actually. And he said this, this is remarkable. This is from the mouth of a serial murderer and who has done like unspeakably gross things. He said, I have known, I'm kind of paraphrasing here. He goes, I have known uh, very violent people, very um, uh, people who have murdered and been in jail for all these years for many different crimes. And he says, there's not one of them that I know that was not heavily involved in pornography in their life. That's coming from this guy who did all these things. And he, he then even goes through his own story and says, this is where this came from. Um, so again, this is, this is something that he even admitted that the very first time he saw it, he felt bad. Uh, and then he didn't. It's not that the thing changed, he changed. And he changed to such a degree that he was so deeply and profoundly involved with this to such a, uh, a, a depravity that nothing would then excite him anymore except for actual murder, except for the dismembering of people. I mean, that, and, and we see that and we say, well, what's the, um, this is the conscience here, right? And here's murder, right? Um, th- that it's, it's a scale. Don't, I, I want you to understand that it's not like this is a different kind of person. He's a human being just like you are. He has, and, and when you watch the interview, you see, oh, they, he, sound, he seems really normal. Like if I saw him in the street, if he came to the church, I would know no difference. I would just talk to him like nothing. But, he's, uh, but, but what happened? So uh, Augustine has this really interesting quote. He says, there's no sin that someone else can commit that you yourself can't commit also. So it's very dangerous to kind of go down this uh, mindset and say, well, that's just a different breed of person. I could never see myself doing this. this is, uh, that's impossible for me. And take heed lest you fall. Uh, that's pride. Because what's the thing that's in him that drove him to this, to murder? Well, it's already, it's what, anger, hatred, grudges, whatever it is. And you're just on the way. And if it's not through daily contrition and repentance of coming back, 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 and restarting and realizing this is wrong, this is evil, these thoughts are not good, they're wrong, um, then 
if, if you don't do that, it's, it's just a matter of time when it progresses, right? There has to be an active uh, stop to it. Yeah? Maybe culturally we should advocate so that things be rated X, they'd be rated TV for Ted Bundy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to people to, to realize, yeah. Pastor, you know, being old now and you see how things have changed, it used to be so many of these things that are just commonplace now, people would show oh. the other people, and now, you know, people say, well, other people do this, mm-hmm. they even tell them it's all right, they're desensitized, what the games people play, what even they're murdering and all this kind of stuff. And, and so, and even pastors, you know, that held them from the pulpit, it's okay. And you mentioned, you know, the porno and stuff like that. You have pastors that are allowed to say the pulpit we know of, you know, that have done things and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, this movie that's out now about these child trafficking and all this kind of stuff, and it's just awful. And yeah. you got a group of people in the country that are vilifying the, the actors and stuff and trying to say, I mean, if you can if you can just look the other way and not be torn apart by that, this is this amazing. Here's my question, though, is if you approach one of these people, you know, and, and then by overwhelming, it's not going to be the majority of people that are going to go to heaven or any of that kind of stuff. If you approach them and say, okay, you got friends that are doing this, you got your pastor doing this, you're going to follow them to hell, because here's what scripture says, mm-hmm. and you would throw the scripture at them, which they don't want to hear, what would be the reaction? Is that, what we, is that the last resort for us to do to them, or what? Is, what? For, for what? To... Or if they're, if they're listening to these people and they're leading them astray, oh. you see these people, even their pastor's telling the wrong thing, and you don't want that to happen to them, how can you shake them to their shoes other than showing them scripture, but if they laugh at scripture, I mean, what do you do? What yeah, do? no, that's, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, if, if, they, if the word of God will not convince them, nothing will. I mean, th- that's, that's the degree. Now, the thing is, if nothing else convinces them, I mean, the, the only thing that could convince them is the Holy Spirit, is Scripture the, uh, itself. So that's our only hope. And so we continue to, to speak of the Scriptures, which this is a good segue here because the conscience, as you see now, is it reliable? No. It's not that reliable. It's, pre- it's fairly reliable. It's fairly good for in, in a lot of people. Um, but people who... <coughs> Kind of the older you get, the more you consistently and create habits and consistently sin and, and do these things. Uh, it can become unreliable, not in the sense that they're plugging their ears to it and they've, they no longer feel this. So there's a second source of, um, of the law, and this is the... This is the Ten Commandments, or the scriptures themselves, the, the very words of God. Um, <clears throat> the, so the problem is, like, I'll think of an analogy here, that the conscience is written, uh, our conscience uh, is the law written in our hearts, and it's kind of like taking an eye exam, and you see it, and it's kind of blurry. But you can still figure out, like, okay, there's a, there's a big E up here, and then there's all these lines and squiggles here, and I can't really tell what it is. But I do know there, there's something there, but I can't put my finger on it. And then the doctor comes, and he gives you a pair of glasses, and then now you can see those, those lines. Well, that's kind of what the scriptures are, right? Our conscience is like, well, okay, I, I know there's something about uh, sexuality that my conscience is telling me. Uh, I know there's something about laziness or greed or something, but I can't really put my finger on it. Well, then the Ten Commandments come and they clarify very clearly and uh, distinctly to a point and say, here is the boundary. This is what the commandment says. Here's what the law says. Um, And this is the only reliable source of the law, right? This is reliable to a degree, but the problem is us. Here, this is reliable because it's outside of us. It's in the scriptures. So, um, Exodus 31, 18 says, God gave to Moses when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tables of the testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. And we see this in Exodus 19 and 20. Uh, th- the conscience is not entirely reliable and it can be wrong and unclear under sin. Uh, so this is why God gives the, the law to clarify what we can't clearly see. Uh, Exodus 31, 18. Um, Now, the scriptures... So, let me... 
say something here. Um, okay, I talked about that last week. Okay, let me say this and then we'll continue. Um, two things real quick. Uh, the law is reasonable. <clears throat> and I alluded to this in the sermon uh, last week that many people will respond and make the false accusation, well, what God is commanding in the Ten Commandments and in the Scriptures is just completely unreasonable. The standard is way too high. God needs to lower his standard to kind of where the average man is, and then that's where we'll go from. Um, so so the, the reality is that the Ten Commandments are not unreasonable. They are completely and entirely reasonable. So ima- imagine this. You go to a car dealership. You buy a brand-new car. And you test out the car, you drive it around, you check the signal and the radio and the AC and the tires, everything is good. Uh, then you say, okay, I want this car delivered to my house, here's all the money, uh, just meet me at my house, here's my address. <laughs> and then um, as the car is being delivered to your home, the truck carrying it gets into a massive accident and the car is completely totaled along with it. Um, it's balled up, it's useless, uh, you, you can't even... Um, open the doors or anything, but it's dropped off on your driveway anyway. (laughs) Um, And then so you go out to see your car and you see it totaled and then you call the dealership and you say, look, um, what's going on here? And he says, well, technically, this is the car you ordered. So it's the same exact car you picked out, right? This is the serial number. Yep, yep everything's the same. And then you say, well, yeah, but I can't even open the door. It's, all, it's scrunched up. I can't do this. It's unusable. I can't even get inside. It's useless to me. And then he says, then the, the, the guy who delivered it then says, well, I think you're expecting too much, <laughs> right? Um, you just bought the car. You need to realize that there's going to be a few bumps and bruises and scrapes, and that's how it goes. Um, so you can't expect it to be perfect. So who's, who's in the right here? Right? Who's in the right here? Is it, is it reasonable for the owner of the car, the one who bought the car, the owner of it to say, I want the car to work like it's supposed to, or for the one who delivered it to then say, that's just how it is. That's what you get. And so you've got to lower your standard. And you're going to have to like the car that we give you, right? The, the point is, what I'm making is that it's not that God needs to lower his standard for us, for our hearts. Our hearts are completely in bondage and broken in sin, destroyed. That is not his fault. It's not his fault at all. So then when, when the Lord then asks for a very simple and reasonable request to say, hey, I just want, just open the door. Or just to say, hey, um... Don't even look at a woman lustfully. Just don't be angry at your brother. Just that. That's a simple, that's a simple thing. That's a reasonable request. It's just like saying, I just want the car to turn on. And then it doesn't. Who are you going to blame? So you say, what, your standard is way too high? No. So the reality is this doesn't show that God's standard is way too high. It just shows how deeply and how far we've fallen that we can't even keep the simple requests of the Lord. You shall have no other gods before my face. And you can't do it? That, that's, not a, that's not a big request. The problem is you. You cannot do it. Do you see? So <clears throat> the, the point I'm getting at is that the law is good, that what God expects of us are good things. He's not expecting us to fly or do things contrary to our nature. He's expecting us to do things that are normal and perfectly reasonable for any uh, of his creatures to do. But the fact that they can't do it is not a problem. Um, okay, so that's, that's the purpose of the law. Uh, the, sorry, the chief purpose of the law. I talked about the second um, use or function of the law, which is to show you that you can't do these things. And that when you see that you can't do them, then you realize I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. My body and brain and heart aren't working the way they're supposed to, which means I need a savior. Um, so, okay, I want to make one more point here about the kinds of laws, and then we'll get into the commandments. The three kinds of laws.
It, it seems like it's overlapping here, but I, I am talking about something different from the three functions of the law. So I, this, a lot of people will get confused here. But the three kinds of law is the political, uh, is the first, or civil. Maybe you could even say that. Uh, the civil use of the law, um, or civil kind of the law. Uh, these are laws that are particular to a particular nation and time. So uh, they're bound to specific places and times. So for example, there's certain laws here in Florida, in Winter Garden in 2023, that did not exist in the 1500s. Why? Because now we have cars and things change. Uh, also, there, there's businesses and there's uh, whatever it might be. So there's a lot of different laws. These change over time. Uh, the second is the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law is the law regarding religious feasts and festivals um, and ceremonies, the sacrificial system, the, the day of atonement, when it should be circumcision, when it ought to be, the dietary laws and the restrictions. Uh, so this would be like, don't mix clothing, uh, fabrics of clothing. Uh, don't eat shellfish. Don't, uh, or take a lamb and then you cut its throat and pour the blood out and then sacrifice the lamb. That's the sacrifice. That's a ceremony. That's a ceremonial law. And then we have, finally, the moral law. Uh, the moral law is eternal. And it is about human behavior and conduct uh, and even of the heart that's, that binds all people of all places and all times. It doesn't change. This changes... This has an expiration date. This never changes and never expires. That's, that's the difference. And the chief concern for me today, or for us today, is this one, is the moral law. Um, by the way, this distinction is very helpful because nowadays, um, very few people hold to this distinction and they will just make the blanket statement, well, if you're against... Uh, homosexuality or transgenderism, then uh, that's just the same. Uh, well, you're being a hypocrite because the Bible says you can't eat lobster either. And so because so, so what you're doing is you're picking and choosing, you're cherry picking what is applicable and what isn't. And so you're saying, well, I don't I, I like this law about uh, I, I don't know about sexual immorality, but I don't like this law about lobsters and clothing. And lambs, and the reality is that they're different laws. They're different things. Uh, ones are are bound to time and places, and the other is is not bound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, so you're not going to find that kind of in the scriptures, um, just like a definition. Right. Yeah. So there's two ways. One, we can look at the um, just all of Leviticus, and then the Lord there prescribes this, and He says this is for the nation of Israel. And that's the clue that, okay, this is, uh, this is bound to a place and time and people. So the, the mixing of clothing, it wasn't like God was punishing, I don't know, other nations for wearing mixed fabrics. It's, he's setting Israel apart here. So there's a ceremonial law. So that's one way we could look at it is by reading Leviticus and seeing what the laws are. Uh, the other way is fast forwarding and looking from the New Testament back and seeing what was left out <laughs> and what was not continued. So then, um, as Christians, all of these ceremonial laws are then fulfilled in Christ. So we can look at church history and say, well, these things that are not being, um, that are not connected to the temple and to the people, therefore are fulfilled because Christ is the temple. He's this. Yeah. No, no, because the temple was destroyed. So not, they're not sacrificing animals. 
Yeah, yeah. I see, what I see is the difference is what we're saying about political or civil law is what we as a family or a tribe or a community or a state or a nation, um, the laws we enact to encourage that behavior, like the moral law, but living in the temporal world, they the civil law also takes on the onus of the um, consequences or the punishment. Yeah. So there has to be a law about a stop sign or everybody's just going to drive where they want to drive. Right. Or something like that. And the ceremonial law is tied to um, religion. Right. Yeah, yeah, the ceremonial is, is tied to the temple and to the, uh, to the people and to the rites, right? Um, and the political changes from place to place, right? So the currencies, the, that's, a, that's a type of law. Um, these sort of things are going to change from time and place. Uh, the, the thing is, is that these can be at, at odds with one another. Sorry, not that one. Um, the political and the moral law can be at odds. For example, uh, it's legal to, to kill a baby. Um, but the Ten Commandments say you shouldn't murder. So, so they can be at variance with one another. Um, yeah? As, as a called missionary for Lutheran Right. <clears throat> Right. Um, but I'll, I'll look more for a definition or, or I'll do more research on it too to see if I can find it. Yeah. The other thing is, um, like, I, I had a Jewish friend in her family. Um, there are the liberal Jewish and, and the conservative. So you'll find that a lot, especially in America, follow the ceremonial laws faithfully. But their actual base of believing in any moral law is not the same. They, they, don't, they don't really care about the religion or the faith part of it. They only follow the ceremonial law. I mean, my, my girlfriend wasn't even sure she believed in God, or, and definitely, you know, they don't believe in hell, and lot, all kinds of things. But boy, those they follow separate those laws. forks, separate plates, separate food, I mean, everything. Yeah, that's amazing. Like, Why are you following the ceremonial law if you don't even think that there's a basis for it in a spiritual, right. you know, God? And it's, it's more of a cultural thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's about works and, and not the heart. Yes. Um, and, yeah, this is a problem. I, I want to get to uh, a couple other things here real quick. Um, <coughs> The, the ordering of the Ten Commandments, I, I'm not going to get into that uh, all that much. I'm just going to say that the Ten Commandments can be divided into two tables. Um, the, so, so, in two tables, we would divide it this way. Uh, not that um, they, we don't know how they were divided when the Lord gave them to Moses, but, um, but we are making this distinction here between commandments 1 through 3 and 4 through 10. 1 through 3 have to do with our relationship to God. 
and four through ten, the final seven, are our relationship with our neighbor. So we could, we could go through that. Uh, you shall have no other gods before my face. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Uh, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This is everything having to do with God. Uh, the fourth commandment now enters in the neighbor. Uh, honor your father and your mother, right? Uh, you shall not murder your neighbor. You shall not uh, commit adultery with your neighbor. You shall not um, steal. Uh, you shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. Uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, manservant, maidservant, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So you have all ten commandments, but we do make this distinction between uh, the first three and the final four. Or Sorry, the final seven, uh, starting with number four. Um, all of this, though, can be summarized right into two parts. And this is what we get from Jesus himself. Uh, he says in Matthew 20, uh, 22, 37 through 40, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's Matthew 22, 37 through 40. So Jesus tells us this. It's love the Lord your God and love your uh, neighbor. Now, can we summarize this even further? Huh? Yeah, or even, even distill it even more. The whole command, the commandments could be summarized in the word love. That's all it is. And love is an action. It's, it's doing things. Uh, it's, also, it, it, it's also from the heart. It's emanating from, from a source. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through each of the commandments. I'm going to do the best I can to finish within the time given. Um, so first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, uh, literally before my face. This is condemning idolatry. It prohibits an idolatry of treating something else as if it were God. And there's two forms of idolatry. There's an explicit idolatry and implicit idolatry. So an explicit idolatry would be like creating a statue with a personality, a set of expectations, and then praying to it and sacrificing it. There are people treat things like gods like that today. Um, John 5.23 says, All men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son honors not the Father which has sent him. Um, in other words, if anyone doesn't worship Jesus as God, uh, then they are not worshiping the one true God. That's what he's saying there. Uh, that there are tribes and there are religions that worship the sun or a golden statue or a pole or their ancestors or something. Uh, this also includes religions like Islam or Judaism or the Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, the Masonic Lodge, uh, Hinduism, Scientology, so on and so forth. You can uh, go down the line. Th these are forms of explicit kinds of idolatry, taking a different name, putting it there and saying, that is my God and I pray to this. And if I touch this a certain amount of times, then I'm going to get a certain blessing or I'm going to be prosperous or whatever. Um, that happened in the Old Testament with uh, uh, the, the God Molech. Yeah, sacrificing your firstborn kid to, for prosperity. Um, to, to this false god. So they actually built a statue and put fire in him and he had his hands out and parents would come and put their baby there and he would be consumed. Um, it was very, very evil. So that's very explicit forms of idolatry. But the reality, so I don't want you to look at this commandment and say, ah, well, I'm not doing that. I don't have a statue of L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like, okay, I'm not doing that. So I must be keeping the first commandment. But no, the reality is that it goes deeper. There's, there's an implicit form of idolatry. And that is treating things in the heart as if they, or your mind as if they were God. So it's looking to things, other things for meaning and fulfillment and happiness and purpose. Um, the list of the most common uh, forms of idolatry, of this implicit idolatry that even Christians fall into and break, um, break this commandment with, are money, 
uh, pleasure or hedonism, uh, popularity, saying that I care more about being popular and what the world thinks of me than what God has said. Um, reason, to elevating your reason and saying, well, I want things to make sense to me more than I care about what the Lord has said. Here's his plain words in scripture, like, like today. Uh, the Lord creates the world in six days, evening and morning, first, second, third. And then we say, well, that's unreasonable to me. And so I'm going to reject it. Well, what have you done there? The first, you're sitting in this, breaking the first commandment here by elevating reason and saying things must make sense. And if they make sense, then, then it's, it's worthy of my consideration and thought and my, my wholehearted conviction. Um, things like um, patriotism could be idolatrous. Uh, family, good works. Now, all of the things I mentioned, money, um, status, popularity, reason, patriotism, family, good works. Are those things bad? No, they're not bad. Money is good. It's neutral. It's just a thing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a tool, right? So in the same thing, reason is good. It's, it's fine, but it's a tool. But it's not to lord over the scriptures with or lord over God's word. So the thing is, what, what's happening is that our heart is taking something good and twisting it and turn it into everything for us. So even our children, could be, as they're great benefits and, and glorious things from God. And yet our hearts can treat children more with more uh, respect and reverence and, than, than we do God and his word. Same thing with our spouse. We can do this with our husband or our wife or a boyfriend or girlfriend or anything. Um, so here's the test. How can you find out if you have a false God? So you say, um, here's the test. Um, blank is greater uh, or equal to God. So you say, um, I, I would put it this way. Would you rather have God or blank? Um, so if, if I say, if I could give you $1 billion and you can never come to church again or nothing and you just keep coming to church, what would you rather have? <laughs> if, if that entices you, if you're, you stop to think and say, oh boy, this is a, the, can I do this? Maybe there are enough podcasts online. Maybe I can uh, figure this. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you go down this route now, what are you doing? You are um, desiring something you, you shouldn't. You're starting to, you're, you're entertained by the thought. Uh, in the same way, I could say this. What can you not live? Uh, what can you not live without? Um, what is it in your life that you're unwilling to give up? Um, for God's word. So if God, God's word confronts you and says, you cannot have this job, are you willing then to say, okay, are you willing to say, I, I, I won't have this job? Or now is your work more important? Um, or if, if he says, well, you cannot have this person, you cannot marry this person, Would, what, what's now more important? The scriptures or your want. Now, this, this is all getting to the heart of the matter. This is the first commandment to say, look, uh, yeah, I know the problem is our hearts want what they want and they, we're stuck. But this is what the commandment requires, that we would uh, have no other gods before his face. It means that you look to this for the highest good and you say, well, this, Lord, what you have said is what I want and desire above all things. Yeah. I think there's almost a third choice in dealing with so many people throughout life. A lot of people, I, I, I look at it as like a life switch. They're going to say, well, I want to do this and go crazy and you know, be wild and all this. And then I'll turn the switch back on and go to God. Oh, right. And then, okay, now maybe I'm going to be wild again. And then I'm going to go back to God. I mean, they have that mindset of, you know, I can, I, I can <coughs> turn around and repent and go right back to God. And, and you know, yeah. it seems like they think they can get away. Now, the reality I'll, I'll say this. Can someone do whatever they want and still be forgiven by God? Yeah. 
Can someone do something on purpose, deliberately, and still, is is it still true that the Lord died for them? Yes. Uh, What's happening here is that, yes, that's true. The Lord forgives even those sins. Um, The issue is that the person doesn't have faith. Uh, This is clear by their... um, their testimony, right? Or we could say that the weak is faith, uh, that, that their faith is weak or dying or even dead. But we can't say that this is a strong and vibrant faith, that this is a good thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, right, I mean, this thing, James chapter 2 talks about this, that faith without works is dead. This is what it's getting at. Um, this sort of intellectual or historical knowledge of, yeah, I know Jesus died for me. And then I don't give a rip about anything he says. Is that, is that real love? Is that, real, is that really keeping the first commandment? Is that really holding him above all things? Now, it's not only that. Uh, I'll segue into the second commandment. It, uh, it's about um, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Uh, let me... Sorry, let me say one more thing. I think this is a helpful way to think of the commandments. Is each commandment is like a fence or a gate or a locked door, and there's something inside of it that's important. So you have, I don't know, uh, here's a treasure, um, right? Uh, I don't know how to draw a treasure. Okay, it looks like a bird. <laughs> okay, how do I change this? Anyway, there's a treasure. Yeah, that thing is a treasure. Um, and then, so, so you say, here's my treasure. Well, I'm going to protect it. So you build a wall around it. And then it's encompassing all these parts, right? All the way around. And you say, I don't want anyone to get to this. Um, because the thing in the center there is what is important. That's the thing that, that's valuable. So this is how you ought to view all of the commandments of God. Is that these commandments are the wall. Right? And implicit in this, that there's a treasure in, in it. So uh, the treasure here of the first commandment is what? God himself. And then the commandment is a, a barricade to say, uh, you shall have no other gods. Because well, then that's a treasure to have God as your God. Uh, the same thing with um, murder. Uh, you shall not murder. Um, that's the, the wall. But what's the treasure in it? Life. So this is a gift from God, uh, so on and so forth. So keep that in mind as we, as we progress through these. This is important to, to keep that in mind. Each commandment is protecting something. And the question is, well, what is it protecting? And that's what we ought to go after. Okay. Um, here we go. So second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, or you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. They mean the same thing. Everything by which... God is called and known is this second commandment. Uh, the name of God is everything, uh, who, who he is in, in his entirety. Um, so think of it this way. Like you have a flag, the American flag. And the flag is not the United States, but it is a symbol or representation of the United States. However, the way you treat the flag shows... The, the, your view of the United States, right? Um, so if you want to trample it or um, set it on fire, well, and you're saying, you're making a statement. This is how, if I could do this to the whole country, I would, right? If I could do this to the government, I would. Um, but you're bringing through that uh, flag, that representation of it, then you are bringing dishonor to it. Uh, the reality here is, is that this, this is sort of like treating God's name in, in that way. The reality here is that God's name is more than just a representation of him. Um, it is him. God's omnipresence means that he is truly wherever his name is. Uh, Matthew eighteen twenty. what does it say? Truly, I tell you, uh, where two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Um, so th- the name of God doesn't just represent God. Uh, it's where he is. It's, it's where he is. So also another point here is that God is not anonymous. Um, so to, 
to pray to like the unknown God or to have some generic God or God of all people. I mean, even the dollar bill says, in God we trust. That means nothing. <laughs> that means absolutely nothing. Because the question is, well, what God? What, which God? There's thousands. So which God are you talking about? Are they talking about Christ who uh, took on flesh, was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered and died for us and resurrected? Are they talking about the creed God? If they're not, then that's a different God. So it's not enough to just say God. Like, I, we have to understand the context here. When I'm talking to you, I, I'm assuming you're all Christians. We all have the same God. You're Lutherans. Okay, so when I just say God, well, Jesus is God and God did this or God blessed us. You know who I'm talking about. But if I go to the, um, to the uh, county building or to, I don't know, a baseball game, and I just say, God bless everyone. Does anyone know who I'm talking about? No. Because the context there is different. Because a, a bunch of people here say Allah is God. A bunch of people here say uh, the Joseph, uh, Joseph Smith's God is God. And this, this. So it could mean anything. So in, in those public spheres, a pastor or a Christian has to be explicitly clear and say, I am talking about Jesus Christ who took on flesh, who is God of God, light of light. This is the one. And I'm not just going to leave a generic thing here. Yeah. This is why in the military for the chaplains, they would sometimes warn us against, quote, praying in Jesus' name. It's like the general. Oh, yeah. Very <laughs> uppity over such things. That, well, that is the severe anything. Yeah. Yeah, so. They would try to get us to just pray. Prayer type thing where we don't explicitly say specific, you know, right. references to yeah yeah and and so as christians you know the context requires us to be uh specific so here i don't have to go through this every single time i say god you know what i'm talking about but when i'm out uh, anywhere else i have to be very specific yeah Yeah, yeah. Well, because, yeah, the question is, like, whose God are we praying to? Uh, who's in charge here? I wouldn't mind leading it, um, but I'm not going to be led by it, you know, uh, because I don't know who's leading it. I don't know what they're going to say. I'm, I'm comfortable knowing that we're gathering to pray to Christ, who is God. And if you don't worship Christ, Jesus, as, the, as you worship the Father, then you don't worship the right God. So this is also why issues of, um, like uh, years, years ago, um, th there was issue of, of Yankee Stadium after the 9-11 attacks. And um, one of uh, the pastors, it was a Lutheran pastor, prayed um, there. It was, it was the pantheon of different religious leaders. There, was, um, there, there were Muslims, there were uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Jews, all this stuff. And one Lutheran pastor gets up and prays in the name of God and isn't specific or uh, clear about what he's saying. And this is a problem because what it does is it takes God and puts him on the same level as all the other gods saying like, here's just another option. Now, I'm not saying you can't do that. You can't go and pray publicly that way. So, for example, if, if I were invited to do this, um, th th this is the way I would do it is I would go there and then I would write a very, very specific prayer and say something like, God, you are the only true God. <laughs> there is no other God besides you. Every other religion here is false and they lead to hell. There's only one religion that leads, and that is, <laughs> yeah. And, and that would be the last time we had it. But, <laughs> but that's what you'd have to do to say, well, that's the context. If that's what it demands, well, then that's what I'm going to say. Uh, but to, but to just acquiesce and say, well, I'm just going to be quiet. I won't be so specific, just not to ruffle feathers. Um, you've, 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 broke, you've taken the, uh, the name of God in, in vain. Yeah. So getting back to this name specifically, usually, well, you know, growing up being taught in Sunday school, do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. It means don't curse. But, but it means more than don't. Yep. Curse. So, so, yeah. 
so we'll, we'll get to that here. Um, yeah, not misusing the name of the Lord your God, right? This includes uh, cursing and, and these sort of things. It's not just four-letter words. Um, and uh, listen to the one I recorded last year. I went more in depth in this. Um, I, I don't think I have to cover it here. But um, it is cursing by God's name included in that. Saying things like, oh, my God, um, or Jesus Christ. Uh, or God damn this thing or that thing right. or right or, or saying um, what the hell things like this because what it's doing is it's taking real things and um, diminishing the value and weight of it so even, even joking about hell like joking about that is not good because hell is a real place where real people go and that's nothing to joke about you don't see people joking about um, murders or suicides or, I mean, you wouldn't joke about hell, even, even more so than those things, right? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very awful thing. Same thing, taking the name of God and you're, you're, um, you're devaluing it, right? It's not that the name of God can be devalued objectively, but you are showing your own disdain for the name of God and saying, well, this isn't a very precious name to me that it's the name I call upon in every trouble. I pray, praise, and give thanks. It's just something I, it just blurred out when I stub my toe or something. And it's, it's wrong. Same thing about damnation. We don't say, ah, oh, God damn this or that. Um, that is a very serious thing. Like that, that's awful. It, that, it, that God would damn something is, is horrible. You, there's no coming back from that. And when we do that, we're, again, what we're doing is we're, uh, creating calluses and and now the way we feel about damnation is lessened and lessened and less and less uh same thing about hell it becomes nah, it's just it's not a real thing it's just kind of a cartoon thing or whatever um when in fact this stuff is is real now on the same um uh yeah m- moving on with that swearing is also included in this so this is two kinds of swearing there's needless swearing and then there's false swearing. So needless swearing would be like, I don't know. Um, did you cut your hair? Oh, I swear to God, I didn't. Whoa, <laughs> you don't need to say that. You just say, no, I didn't. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need to swear or say, oh, I, I went to the store. I swear, you don't need to do that. There is a time for proper swearing. There is a time for that. And to swear, the, tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. There's a right time. And if you're going to swear, then you do it sparingly and you do it at the right time. But to needlessly swear, you don't need to swear to say that you went to the store or that you got your hair cut or something. Um, the other is false swearing. And, or, uh, uh, yeah, a, a false kind of swearing, a falsehood, is to say, to use God's name to support a lie. To say, well, did you go here? I swear to God I didn't. And if you are lying, oh my goodness. Now you've called God down upon you. Uh, who did this, by the way? Peter. Peter. Yeah. Peter was swearing, calling down curses from God upon himself. So it, it would be something like, I swear to God, I don't know this man. So I, I don't... When it comes to Peter's denial of Christ, don't think of it as like a small, trite thing. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know him. No, no, no. No, he was deliberately, actively pushing against it. I don't know him. I want nothing to do with him. So that's huge. This is why the the guy was weeping just when Jesus looked at him. This is also why it's such a great miracle that the Lord then looks at him and forgives him for that. I mean, he called God's name to say he doesn't know who God is. uh, And yet the Lord still forgave him. Um, Yes, real quick. No, yeah, because what you're doing then is you're taking, uh, a, to swear is a very serious thing and you should use it when it's required. So like if you're an eyewitness for an event or something and you say, look, I swear this is what I saw, this is what, what happened. But to say, oh, I swear, what you're doing is, is you're cheapening what, it, what a swear is and just say yes or no. Uh, that, and, and Jesus talks this way, don't, 
don't swear by heaven on earth or anything else. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. But there are times when we ought to swear. Um, so, okay, there, there are examples of biblical oaths um, and, and these sort of things. You can listen to the recording from last year on those things. The third point here is the most important. We talked about cursing. We talked about swearing. This third one is the chief way to break the, the commandment. It is false doctrine. That's it. Uh, this is the worst and the most blatant way to break the second commandment. It is to say that God said something that he didn't say or to omit something that he did say. Uh, Jeremiah 23 says this, 23, 31 through 32. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I didn't send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. To say that God approves of or no longer, uh, sorry, these are my comments. To say that God approves of or no longer cares about certain sins means to lie in the name of God. When he himself has said, I care about these things. And then you say, well, God doesn't care about them anymore. Now, well, now you've taken his name and used it in vain. So th- the worst thing anyone can do in breaking this commandment, the, the most damage, let me put it that way, the most damage you can bring about is through false doctrine, is teaching people, I don't know, something. Well, you need your good works to save you. you need, in addition, yeah, you need Jesus, but you need your good works also. Th- that is very bad to say. Or to say that, well, to change the words of Scripture and say, well, baptism doesn't save you. That's bad when he clearly said. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let me clarify something. When, this, when the confessions, the Lutheran confessions quote and talk about the fathers, they're only doing so as uh, support, not to prove that the text says what it says, but to prove that the church has understood the text to say what it said. So, so to... Yeah, yeah. So th- there you have to, um, um, like, the, the only thing you do is, you ha- the answer is scripture, is you go back to scripture. So wh- when people say, um, look, well, baptism doesn't save you. And then you point to the words, baptism now saves you. And then they fight this and they, they push against it. And they say, well, right. Then you say, well, what if... Yeah, exactly. So they'll bring up other texts. And then, which we don't deny. We say, yes, the, the, I don't know if the thief on the cross was baptized. Uh, probably not. But the Lord saved him. But that doesn't negate the fact that First Peter 3.21 says this. So can they both be true? Yes. Yeah. Um, so what we're, what we're not doing is we're not taking a system and then imposing it into the scriptures. We're simply saying, well, this is what the scriptures have revealed. So there must be something going on here where... The scriptures say, baptism now saves you. And it would be wrong of me to then announce the opposite of that. I have, I'm not in the place to do that. I, as a pastor, I'm not in the place to say, well, uh, the Lord said, this is my body. And as often as you do this, um, do, uh, do it in remembrance of me. And whoever eats it unworthily, uh, so on and so forth. I'm not in the place to contradict any of those clear words. And so the, the job of the pastor then is to say, well, this is what the lord's word says so really um the the danger there is that it looks like they're just holding to scripture and like scripture is leading them all these places the reality is that it's their reason and, and if you push on that you're going to see that there's a reason why they're rejecting the very clear words to say well why is it that you cannot allow this truth to be said that baptism now saves you 
Um, now, whatever objections or whatever it might be, okay, fine. Um, but do the words stand at the end of it? It's same thing with, with creation. Um, hold on, let me save this recording. Okay, so the, the same thing goes with things like, um, uh, yeah, like creation. To say, well, the Lord said evening and morning and it was the sixth day or something. And then somebody rejects this. Well, why are they rejecting that? Not because the words don't say obviously what they say. It's because you don't like the conclusion that the words are saying. So that you, you think that, um, I, don't, I don't know, that it couldn't be this way. Or that it had to be some other way uh, apart from the way the Lord has said it. So as Lutherans, we, we do go back to the scriptures. And we can use the church fathers in, in a secondary sense, not to tell us what the scriptures say, but to confirm that that's what they've said and that that's what they've always said and everybody understood it that way. So for example, for someone all of a sudden to come around and say, well, day in Genesis 1 means not one day, it means five trillion days. Well, how, where did you get that? And, and why is that the case now when nobody in the history of the world has understood it that way? And so this is where the church fathers are helpful, right, to show that, look, we didn't make this up. And yeah, like we're saying other people have read the same text in a different context at a different time with different uh, education. And they had the same exact conclusion because the point is the scriptures are clear. So why is it that all of a sudden in the 1500s, the 15, mid 15 and late 16, uh, early 1600s, that all of a sudden people are now saying, well, babies can't be baptized, when for all of church history they were. Or that now all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Lord's Supper is just nothing. It's just bread and wine. When in fact, throughout all church history, it wasn't. So you have the bulk, the majority of church history attesting to the fact that, hey, so right, what we don't want to do is read scripture in a vacuum um, uh, and, and just uh, without regard to anything else around us. Uh, we, we use the church fathers, but never, even if a church father disagrees with the scriptures, well, then the scriptures are true, right? Um, but again, they're only, they're a tool. The church fathers are a tool. And church history is a tool to say, hey, this is how it was understood. Uh, not saying that's how we have to understand it now, but, um, but it is how it was understood. So those words must have been clear back then as they are now. Uh, so, yeah, we have, to be, we have to be very careful with this too. But the reality is that scripture alone is sufficient. I mean, Jesus himself says, if you abide in my word, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. He says those words, you will know the truth. Right? And that's the biggest issue that we have today. Like, how can I know what I'm reading is true? How can I know what's true? How can I know it's not just an opinion? Well, dedicate yourself to the study of God's word. Like, so this is why grammar is so important. Uh, just reading, just learning how to read and say, that is a third person possessive plural pronoun. That, that's important so that you don't create all these uh, odd things. And, and it's also a very difficult art to then study the scriptures um, because we have to constantly be repenting of ourselves and of lording ourselves and our reason above the scriptures. So again, when, when people have these different uh, interpretations, it is, it is reason that's, that's lording over it. Um, let me, hold on, let me, let me finish this and then I'll take questions. Um, for the second commandment, uh, we get to this, there's an overreaction um, the wrong reaction is to never then use the name of the Lord your God or never talk about the things that scripture talks about. Um, the, the Jews did this. They changed the name of God in the Bible so that they wouldn't mispronounce it or say it accident, in, an, in an accidental way or something. So um, uh, they came up with uh, Jehovah, um, the consonants of Yahweh and the vowels of Adonai, and they mixed it together. So that, that, that way they would never say Yahweh, right? Or if they mispronounce it or stutter, then they say, you've mis, 
misuse the name of the Lord your God, right? So that's an overreaction. And I think it's an overreaction for Christians to do the same, to say, well, I just won't ever say, talk about damnation ever or swearing ever or any of this. No, there is a right and a wrong way and time to talk about these things. Um, we're against the, this commandment is against the flippant use of, of this. Um, the positive thing, let me just get to this. The second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The treasure is what? The name of the Lord your God. So what ought you, ought you to do? Use it rightly, right? So pray. Uh, so if you're driving or you're in the car, then pray, uh, Lord, have mercy if you see an accident. That's the right time to pray. That's okay to say. Um, to genuinely call upon Christ to, say, to help me or whatever it is. These are, these, this is a good way. So it is a treasure and it is a blessing and a privilege to have the name of, of Christ. Because wherever you, people are gathered in his name, there he is with them. So again, don't, don't be so afraid that you never use the name of the Lord uh, of God's name, but uh, don't use it in in the in the wrong way. Um, okay, let me pause here for questions.